everyone, and welcome to another episode of Roots, the Jazz Impressions podcast. Uh, my name's Ollie. My name's Dan. And together we run jazzimpressions.co.uk, a music blog designed as a game of musical ping pong where we explore musical connections one track at a time. In each episode, we basically choose a track each and then we map a route between those two tracks using a path of musical stepping stones to give us a chance to talk about and share some of the music that we enjoy. In today's episode, we're going to pay tribute to two players that we've lost over the last couple of years, the great Stanley Cowell and Chick Corea, brilliant pianists who passed away at the end of 2020, in the case of Cowell, and February 2021, we lost Korea. So what track have you chosen, Ollie? So for my track, um, I picked a fantastic one by Stanley Cowell. Um, in collaboration with Frederick Waits and Buster Williams, and the track is called Sienna, Welcome My Darling. Which one did you pick? I've gone for Letha by Shit Korea. A classic. So, do you want to kick things off today? Yes, I'm starting with Sienna, Welcome My Darling mm -hmm. by Stanley Cow, Freddie Waits and Buster Williams from their D.I.W. album We Three, released in 1987. still think it's an underrated and hidden gem. Um, yeah, Japanese ja issue. Yeah, Japanese, uh, originally a Japanese only release. I just love, it's just a, it's just a really good record. It's like all, all, all my kind of favourite records, it's like one of those records where every track is good. Mm -hmm. um, it moves through a really nice range of compositions as well. You've got some great ballads on there. The second track is called Winter Reflections, which yeah. is beautiful. But I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic and it's got everything, you know. It's got hard bop sounds, post bop sounds on there. It's got beautiful modal qualities as well. It's got that kind of bossa nova kind of levity of um, Sienna, Welcome My Darling. He wrote it in tribute to his daughter, Welcome My Darling, when she'd just been born. That's a nice way to be welcomed into the world. Yeah, I can think of worse ways. Of it beats happy birthday. <laughs> so where did you go from there? Next, I've gone with Clandestine by Charles Lloyd from his album Acoustic Masters 1 released on Atlantic in 1994. Thank you. 
has a very similar atmosphere to the Siena. Yeah. It's got that kind of almost like Latin yeah. kind of bossa bounce to it kind of thing. The link being uh, Buster Williams, of course. Right. Uh, and produced by Lenny White, who we saw when we saw Charles Tolliver at the Jazz Cafe. The rhythm yeah. section included Buster Williams and Lenny White on drums, which was a brilliant lineup to see live. One of the best gigs I think we've seen live at the Jazz Cafe. Oh, oh well, just generally. But no, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and it's also got Billy Higgins on drums. Oh, yes. Cedar Walton uh, on piano, who also composed the track. Mm -hmm. We mentioned him in episode two. Mm. He wrote uh, Mosaic, the Art Blakey joint. Oh, watching. 1994. Yeah. I think Charles Lloyd had obviously done quite a lot of experimental stuff, very popular in the 70s, uh, sort of spiritual jazz. And so this is an interesting return to a more traditional kind of jazz. I mean, obviously the title Acoustic Masters 1 suggests going back to basics. But he's a really interesting musician. It seems like the stuff I've heard from him is always quite different and yeah. out there. And he, he obviously wasn't scared to <laughs> experiment. Well, my next track is... Uh, on another Charles Lloyd album, this time a live record mm -hmm. uh, from Forest Flower. Oh, which okay. was recorded live at the Montreux Jazz Festival in 1966. Uh, released on Atlantic, the track is called Sorcery. composed by his pianist, in this case, Keith Jarrett. Oh, okay. And all of those musicians are still alive, which is unusual for this podcast. Charles Lloyd, Keith Jarrett, Cecil McBee on bass. Oh, the Don. Jacques de Jeanette on drums. Yeah. It's interesting that the, the way he plays his flute, it feels a bit like a, a Japanese shakuhachi, mm. what he does with the flute, some of the, the lines and the way he'll kind of have those explosive, like, <laughs> kind yeah. of sounds. Charles Lloyd was popular with the hippie crowd at that time. Yeah. Interestingly, Monterey Jazz Festival is the same place as the Monterey Pop Festival, mm. which is where you got people like Janis Joplin making their mark. Oh, that's interesting. At the same time. Yeah. Also, I just saw on Wikipedia, in the 2000s, Cecil McBee unsuccessfully sued a Japanese company that opened a chain of stores under his name. Cecil McBee plastic storage boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe it was like selling bases. That made more sense. Cecil would be bases, and then that was next to a clothes shop called Cecil Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any more Cecils in jazz? I think it's um, Cecil Taylor. It is, it's Cecil Taylor. But it's definitely Cecil McBee. I, I've always said Cecil McBee. It, it feels weird saying Cecil McBee. Sounds like saying sea salt. Maybe that's what they were selling at the business. What, the sea, sea salt. salt? Cecil, sea salt. McBee, the seashore. <laughs> next. I have gone with a cover of that song okay. by the Swedish jazz rock band Made in Sweden on their Grammy-nominated debut album, Made in Sweden with a Love. And it was released on Sonnet in 1968. 
And the track is spelt sorcery this time, S-A-U-C-E-R-Y. I don't know if that's a language error. <laughs> Maybe because they're bringing the source. Yeah. Maybe because it's a saucy cover. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting you to go over some random <laughs> Swedish jazz rock, prog rock. <laughs> to me, that sounds like Quicksilver Messenger Service, who we've talked about before, and that Monterey, San Francisco hippie material. Well, I put it in the same. I put it in the same kind of category. Like um, we were talking about uh, John Clemmer. Yeah, and it's the same kind of thing. Late sixties jazz rock, where you'll have you know basically a rock band, but they've got jazz chops as well. Yeah, making kind of rock music, but definitely jazz inflected. And you can hear it there, you know, they're not just your average rock band. Yeah, it's really cool, that motoring riff transferred onto these electric instruments. Definitely. Looking at the album cover, the album cover is super cool as well. Interesting yellow, yellow and blue. But yeah. And there's um, a Beatles cover on the album as well. Uh, A version of the Peter Gunn theme. Yeah, by Henry Mancini. That's cool, man. That's a really cool track. Where did you, where did you go from there then? I've stuck in Sweden. I'm hanging around Stockholm for this one. Okay. From Made in Sweden with Love to to Sweden with Love by Art Farmer. This is Vad Dudu, or Was It You? Released in 1964 on Atlantic. Jazz versions of Swedish folk songs. Yeah, I was just looking at the track listing. So all traditional. Yeah, they were traditional Swedish touring out there in Sweden, and a guy from a record company said, "Would you like to record an album of Swedish folk music?" I gave him a book of songs, right. suggestions to cover. Yeah, and our farmer stumbled across one of them, which was called SW Folk Song, and they started playing it in the studio. And the guy comes out and says. Uh, stop, stop. Arfam says, what's the matter? And the guy says, that's not Swedish, that's Swiss. Oh. Uh, so they dish that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool. But yeah, it's a lovely album. It's only half an hour long and it's Jim Hall on guitar, Steve Swallow bass, Pete Rocker on drums. I mean, any, any album that has half of the lineup of Pete Rocker's Basra on it, yeah. you kind of have to pay attention. So, I mean, Steve Swallow and Pete Rocker. They are a formidable duo. But what Jim Hall does is so interesting. There's an incredible floating 
quality. I think he plays with a lot of sustain mm. and interesting harmony yeah. that provides this bed for our farmer to bounce off of. I love how they've, with the album cover, they've done the classic thing of the, you know, the 60s and 70s. Like, oh yeah, well, it's the record execs were probably like, well, what do we put on the cover? Oh, I know, let's just put a Swedish woman on the cover. Yeah. You know, we'll just choose some Swedish beauty and we'll just put her on the cover. It's like, it does it a little bit of a disservice. I mean, it's not a, a bad picture, but you think, oh, they could have done so much better artistically. Yeah. And especially, you know, you saw this a lot in Japan as well. I think they were called like cheesecake covers mm. where you just have like a naked girl. Yeah. You know, just butt naked on the front cover. And it was like trying to obviously entice people to buy the record. Yet inside it's like funky, psychedelic jazz rock. And yeah. It's like, well, why do we have, it just didn't really work. I know? think it probably reflects the hurriedness, if not of the playing but certainly of the record company. Probably get the record out as quickly yeah. as possible. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting record. It's funny, the, the, the music as well sounds, it reminds me a bit of some of the British jazz stuff mm. um, from people like Ian Carr and stuff like that. I don't know why, maybe it's the swaying quality to it. I think yeah. the way that it swings and also having that space in the recording to solo. Mm. Um, I don't know why, just sonically it reminds me a bit of those Is that Ian Carr, Don Rendell records. Yeah. But yeah, really interesting, uh, really interesting pick. I like that. So where did you go from there? Then on to the final step in the journey. Mm -hmm. And again, like my first link, this is via the bassist. So Steve Swallow okay. appears on Letha by Shit Career. Ah, oh, okay. On Tones for Jones Bones, Career's debut album, released in 1968, but recorded in 66, and put out on Atlantic and Vortex. I mean, an opener is effectively the first track of his career. Fixed career. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's insane, you know, uh, that, that being your kind of opening mission statement. Yeah. You look at the lineup on there, it's, you've got Chick Rear, you've got Woody Shaw on trumpet, Joe Farrell on tenor sax and flute, Swallow on bass, and Joe Chambers on drums. I mean, that's a heavy lineup. And they all play their hearts out. It's got a real, almost kind of duality between the thundering sections that go really hard and fast. Well, the straight way driving, yeah. And then that kind of lovely kind of swung. Yeah, with the kind of Latin vamp. Yeah. It's a beautiful rainbow of a song. It's almost impressionistic, I think. Themes and snippets mm. sort of fade in and out and you can never really work out where the tune is. When I listen to it, I picture a kind of chase down the street with like multicolored paint flying everywhere <laughs> and it's fading in that slow motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that slightly abstract. I mean, it's amazing to think, you know, how, I, I, I don't know what age he was when he, but, but this chicory was very young. 25 um, he was. 25, yeah. It's insane. Interestingly, on the number of 25, Korea won 25 Grammy Awards. Wow. Um, and was nominated over 60 times during his life. 
he's the fourth most nominated artist in the history of the Grammys. Wow. Yeah. But any of those Grammys for Space Jams? Oh, what the uh, the L. Ron Hubbard uh, legendary album, possibly one of the best albums ever recorded. <laughs> yeah, for anyone that's not familiar, Chikorea, um, as much as he's one of the greatest players of all time to ever touch the ivories, he's also um, our favourite Scientologist. Yeah, by a long way. Along, along with Stanley Clark as well. It's interesting when you look in jazz, you've got Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter and Buster Williams went off to become Buddhists. Yeah. <laughs> Chick Rear and Stanley Clark went off um, to commune with aliens. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some very strange music about it. Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard's space jazz. Yeah. yeah. He's also released a lot of other, um, well, I want to say records. They're mainly actually uh, Scientology Mini-discs. materials. Um, yeah. They're, well, they're kind of like mini, I think they're like CDs. You know, 83, you got a cassette called On Top of the World. Carpenters. Yeah, literally. And I mean, it's just bizarre. And then it's a person made out of chocolate. Um, and it's a it's a theme tape. It says music themes from the film, the professional TR course. Then you get Dianetics, the evolution of a science, original motion picture soundtrack, Fear, a novel of suspense. Battlefield Earth. John Travolta sings the hits from the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a really cool route, man. That was really interesting. A lot of that stuff I didn't know. How about you? Where did you go for your route? So I did the same in terms of direction. I went from Sienna, Welcome My Darling, through to uh, Litha. For the uh, the first step on my musical path, I've chosen another track by Stanley Cowell called Sienna, Welcome to This New World. And it's off Cowell's album New World, which was released in 1981 on Galaxy Records, which was a subsidiary of Fantasy Records and interestingly named after a science fiction magazine. track on the album and obviously different composition to Sienna Welcome My Darling. It's funny you find there are certain tracks in artists' careers that certain artists return to time and time again and obviously with Stanley Cowell you see through his career there are multiple recordings of Sienna Welcome My Darling or references to Sienna. The album as a whole is very kind of upbeat and lyrical like I mentioned before about Stanley Cowell's playing but it's infused with also these kind of Latin and Afro grooves throughout as well. And uh, I mean, it's got an insane lineup on it. Um, but before I talk about that lineup, I'll introduce the next track, which is another um, another song of this album, um, very different in nature, and uh, it's called L Space O.
from the kind of bright Latin trio to a solitary ballad and now space funk. It's weird, like it's a it's a it's the penultimate track on the album. So this is the track before the one I just played you. And it's kind of an outlier on the album. The general like with the title A New World, it's a very kind of optimistic album. You've got kind of a choir in there as well. Um, the music is generally quite upbeat and has a kind of carnival feeling to it in places. But this is the kind of one outlier on the album, which is arguably like the darkest track. And it has this this brooding atmosphere that's reminiscent of like a 70s espionage flick yeah. or a exploitation soundtrack. It's composed by Cecil McBee, um, Roy Haynes and Cal. So it's a collaboration wow. between the three of them. And like I said, the lineup on this album, Cal on keys, um, acoustic, electric and prepared pianos, on kalimba, on organ, on chimes and background vocals. Um, so doing all sorts of all sorts of stuff there. Cecil McBee on bass, Roy Haynes on drums, We've got Kenneth Nash on percussion, uh, Pat Patrick on flute, clarinet and tenor sax, uh, Julian Priester of ECM fame um, on alto, tenor and bass trombone, Eddie Henderson on trumpet, electric trumpet and flugelhorn, and Terry Adams on cello and Nate Rubin on violin. So it's a big a big group and yeah. everyone's, you know, playing like multiple iterations of their instrument. And yeah, it's a really interesting track because on the one hand, although it's got that that 70s kind of espionage flip energy at the same time, you've got this all these weird kind of almost free jazz elements mm. going on on top and these kind of cosmic kind of sound experiments. Such as that even in the 80s, you know, Cal was still doing interesting things. He wasn't, you know, falling into any sort of kind of musical cliches with it. It's just very, it's just, just a really good funky track. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably my favourite on the album, to be honest. Where do you go from there? So from there, um, I've chosen another track named after a woman. <laughs> a bit tenuous, I know, but it's written by Stanley Cow's biggest musical collaborator, uh, Charles Tolliver, with whom he co-founded Strata East Records in 1971. And the track I've chosen is by Music Inc., uh, which was Charles Tolliver's ensemble, and the track is called Ruthie's Heart, and it's the opening track on the self-titled album Music Inc., uh, released in 1971 on Strata East Records, and it was the first release on uh, Strata East. Music Inc, you've got the core band there, uh, which consists of, you've got Charles Tolliver on trumpet, you've got Stanley Cowell on keys, uh, Jimmy Hopps on drums, and Cecil McBee on bass. Um, but along with that, you've got contributions from Clifford Jordan and Jimmy Heath on flute wow. and reeds. You've got Curtis Fuller and Dick Griffin on trombone, mm -hmm. um, and various other um, lesser known players in the ensemble. But it's that kind of quartet backed by this big band. Yeah. It's just such a big sound on that album, and it's so, I mean, you play that loud, it blows your head off. What if when we de-buzz the podcast, it removes every instance of the name Cecil McBee? <laughs> it's fascinating the way the big band was the standard band of the swing era, which obviously then 
gave way to the smaller bands of bebop. Then post-bop comes along and suddenly you're combining the two. Yeah. So you've got the driving sound of hard bop, but with an orchestra. Funnily though, at the time, they shipped their record around, this Music Inc. record, they shipped it around to different labels and no label was interested in putting it out. Because if you think about it at the time, this wasn't the happening sound. No one was interested in big band jazz. Who wants to listen to post-bop big band jazz in 1971? No one. They want to listen to funky, you know, the funky rock-inflected sounds that were big at the time. And so they had, no one would basically um, put out their record. So they said, why don't we just do it independently? And that led to them founding Strata East. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic record. And Tolliver, he's, he's an amazing trumpeter. I mean, he started off playing on Blue Note mm -hmm. uh, records with uh, Jackie McLean as a young man um, and Andrew Hill, whilst Cal had appeared uh, with the likes of Bobby Hutchison and Marion Brown. But Tolliver, he said he was inspired by Coltrane, like everyone was a, yeah. of his age at the time, but Coltrane was like a god, mm -hmm. so they never really approached him. He said he talked to, he talked with him a bit, but he wasn't, you know, they were in awe of him. He yeah. said. But for Tolliver, he said his, his biggest inspiration was, um, was Booker Little. Oh really? Yeah, because as a as a teenager, he he was inspired to lead a quartet because normally trumpet players won't lead a quartet because it's too tiring, mm. um, and so it was quite uncommon to have a trumpet player leading quartet. But after Tolliver saw Book a Little play and lead a quartet when he was a teenager, um, Tolliver was inspired to do the same. So that's where that's where I want to get to. Um, For those who don't know, Book a Little was a trumpeter who died uh, at the age of twenty three. Twenty three that early? Yeah. He was just phenomenal. Worked a lot with Max Roach and Eric Dolphy, and unfortunately had uremia, and so passed away in 1961. Without recording a huge amount, but what he did record was fantastic. He really expanded the vocabulary of the trumpet with this kind of elasticity, hmm. which you hear on great Eric Dolphy albums, Far Cry, and At the Five Spot. Really good live recording, as well as his own albums such as Out Front, which has Julian Priester on it as well. But it's interesting, I haven't listened to a lot of Book a Little, but you're talking about kind of elasticity in his playing. What's interesting about Tolliver's music, and I mean, with this music particularly on this track, it's there's an intensity and an urgency to the music, mm -hmm. um, but it's also got this this swing the, and this um, these kind of exciting dynamic yeah. solos. That he's got so it's kind of I, I like Tolliver's playing because he's got those both sides. It swings, but it's incredibly like intense and punchy. Mm -hmm. A bit like Woody Shaw as well. Definitely, and I mean they were you know Woody Shaw again was playing with um, a lot of these players that were into the more avant-garde and spiritual leaning stuff. Um, but yeah, amazing, amazing track. What a way to kick a label off. So yeah, from there um, I've pursued again the the Tolliver link. So the track I've chosen is uh, the Ringer off the album from the same name. Um, originally recorded in the summer of 1969 uh, when the quartet was on tour of Europe and it was released later that year in the UK on Polydor.
same lineup as Strata East Music Inc., except you've got Steve Novosel uh, making a one-off appearance on the bass. But you wouldn't know that it was a slightly different quartet because the sound is very similar to that which you hear on um, the previous my previous selection, Music Inc., um, the one on Strata East. Um, it's sonically similar, but I feel it's a little more restrained when you listen to this whole album. The sound is just a little less. I suppose it's because there's no big band. Yeah. So you've just got the quartet. Um, so it's not quite as as punchy. But again, you know, it's a beautiful album of accomplished and dynamic post-bop, really. Just looking at his discography as a leader, it's incredible. Paperman, The Ringer, Live at Slugs, Music Inc., and then a whole bunch more. Yeah. Like, what a run. He's a really talented composer, arranger, musician. I mean, really, yeah, has had a very solid career. A bit like Carol, in a way. But And again, like I was talking about with Carol, you've got Sienna... Welcome My Darling, and you see throughout his career, he revisits this track numerous times. For Tolliver, I think The Ringer is one of Tolliver's best-known tunes, and again, you see versions of that crop up on other records as well. He was 27 when he made this record, wow. and he'd already cut his teeth playing with Jackie McLean, Horace Silver, Roy Haynes, Art Blakey, Booker Irvin, Ray Charles, Willie Bobo, father of Eric Bobo of Cypress Hill Beastie Boys fame, yeah. who we mentioned recently. Um, Sonny Rollins, Hank Mobley, Gerald Wilson, McCoy Tyler, and Max Roach. I mean, 27, and he's already shared the bandstand with all this talent. It's insane. You know, it's, it's interesting in the liner notes, Val Wilmer, legendary critic, jazz critic, she writes that although he has moved frequently amongst the furthest outposts of the avant-garde, he has remained true to his swinging principles. Mm. Um, I imagine talking about the music, not you know, <laughs> other more uh, dubious activities. Um, but yeah, it's awesome, you know, he, and you feel that with his music, there's that real intensity, but also that swing throughout all of his stuff. Yeah, and he's still um, going, he's 80. If you get a chance to see Charles Tolliver, don't miss it. He's an incredible player and uh, yeah, great record, The Ringer, highly recommended. Um, next uh, stop on my journey is the same composition, The Ringer. One of the artists uh, Tolliver played with was the fantastic vibes man, Roy Ayers. And it's the opening track from Roy Ayer's second album as leader, Virgo Vibes, and it was released in 1967 on Atlantic Records. Yeah, Roy Ayers, like a lot of these players, was starting off effectively as a jazz man before becoming the, the jazz funk, yeah. soul jazz, disco titan that we know him to be now. And I think Roy Ayers' best known records have obviously been the records from that era, from Everybody Loves the Sunshine and all the ubiquity stuff he did, um, you know, and the Ramp record and things like that. But yeah, before all of that, as a young player, he was uh, basically a jazz man and uh, playing with incredible you know, other young talent. This is actually prior to Tolliver's The Ringer. I right. think this is the first recorded example of it. And I mean, it's a, it's a great version of it um, with the vibes 
um, centre stage. And I mean, the lineup on this record is, again, insane. You've got Roy Ayers on vibes, you've got Reggie Workman on bass, Bruno Carr on drums, not someone I'm hugely familiar with, Ronnie Clark, a pseudonym for Herbie Hancock, on the piano, huh. Joe Henderson on tenor sax, Tyler on trumpet, and also Harold Land, Jack Wilson, and Buster Williams also making an appearance um, on other tracks as well later in the record, not this specific one. But I mean, it's insane, a bit of talent yeah, <laughs> on that record. That's nuts. Um, but I don't know if there's any other records that say Ronnie Clark. That'd be an interesting one to, to yeah. look for, see if you can come across any other Herbie appearances of Ronnie Clark. But um, yeah, amazing album, really good. Now, can you guess what the connection is to Litha? No. What if I showed you the album artwork? Okay, that's Tones of Jones Bones. Right, okay, so my connection to Chikori's Litha is an artistic one, an aesthetic one, um, and it's that the artwork on both albums, um, Virgo Vibes and Chikori's Tones for Jones Bones, were both done by um, an artist called Dick Lupi. And, uh, and yeah, the, he, did, he didn't do artwork for that many albums, but interestingly, he did them for, I think he did four albums, he did a Herbie Man album, he did Virgo Vibes, he did Tones for Jones Bones, and he did Dave Pike's Doors of Perception, all of which came out either on Vortex or Atlantic. Um, and they all have this similar psychedelic swirling yeah. style, which brings me to Litha. I realised that we could have just gone from one track to another by virtue of the fact that both tracks are dedication to children, sons ah. and daughters. Litha right. is a dedication... Um, to Chikoria's daughter and son. His daughter is called Liana and his son is called Thaddeus or Thad. And that's where you get the name Litha from. I didn't know that. And so we could have cut out all of this. We could have done an incredibly short episode and we could have gone straight from Sienna, Welcome My Darling, straight to Litha. But that yeah. wouldn't have been as fun and we wouldn't have covered... Elrond Hubbard. Yeah, exactly. It's funny that he's called Chick and he's called his son Thaddeus. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when I was looking at the names here, like, Liana, fair enough, but, I mean, Thaddeus is, is quite a... If you're, going to, if you're a Scientologist and you're going to call your kids something, Thaddeus is pretty, uh, pretty cool. It's funny how jazz musicians are named often after um, animals. So, like, bird. Yeah. Chick. Okay, monk is not... But monkfish, <laughs> I suppose. Thelonious Sphere Monk. And if you're called Thelonious Sphere Monk, you know that um, you're going to have that unique Facebook profile. You're not going to be messaging someone on Twitter you're ask not, if you can you have yeah, the handle. You're not going to be, you're not going to be like Thelonious Sphere Monk 92. <laughs> to be honest, you probably would. You probably would have to be like, somebody's taken Thelonious Monk and I'm for God's, for God's sake, it's like, fine, Thelonious Sphere Monk 1, taken. Oh, for God's sake. Ends up having to give someone £30. <laughs> yeah, this account has not been active for 10 years. Hi, I'm looking to uh, improve my social media presence. And they yeah. just, just post memes. Yeah, just post memes. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that if Monk was alive now, it would just be like strange posts of like scenes from his kitchen or the inside of his fridge. Just odd things that wouldn't... Yeah. He would be subverting what social media is used for in some way. Like that. Yeah, you'd be like... Doing strange things. If you look at all of Monk's tweets, the first letter of all 200 of them actually spell something. <laughs> spell something, yeah. He'd probably be like entering the NFT game as well. Oh, I feel that like he'd be doing some weird, <laughs> some weird stuff like releasing strange geometric shapes hurtling in space <laughs> to Thelonious Monk music and selling that. And Sun Ra will be on the NFTs as well. He'll probably be playing right. on Fortnite like Ed Sheeran. 
<laughs> and on that note, I think we should wrap up the episode. Um, yeah, great route, man. Uh, like I said, a lot of stuff on there I didn't, I didn't know. So yeah, I need to listen to more Stratter East, more Charles Tolliver, more Tolliver. Again, for anyone who hasn't delved in, Music Inc's a great place to start. So yeah, that brings us to the end of another episode of Roots, a Jazz Impressions podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as always, yeah, follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, and subscribe and follow wherever you uh, consume your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, um, or on the website as well. We've got direct links on there along with track listings. Join us again for another round of musical ping pong. And finally... Out now on Jazz Impressions Records, Music for Beekeeping. Featuring Cecil McBee, Honey Rollins, Don Holland, and Buster Williams. <laughs>